for me, I always tell people, quick wins is one of those words. We, we hear so much in business, don't we? Like, oh, I want a quick win here. What's a quick fix for this? Right. And for me, I think all the time, it's like, well, there can never really be a quick fix. Quick fix. I can give you some quick fixes to make your marketing more accessible, or I can, um, I'll give you some of those starters here in a moment. But for me, I always think with disability, the quickest fix that anybody can do is to forget this quick fix, because it's all about that mindset. It's changing that mindset, flipping that narrative, which is, we should hire for pity, we should hire because it's the right thing to do. Well, no, hiring disabled people, yes, there's an element of being right. It is the right thing to do. You wanna hire the right people for the job, but a person with disability, they're bringing a whole range of skills that potentially somebody else won't have. You know, if I think of myself, if I'm going somewhere, so if I'm going from A to B, I have to plan that like a military operation. I have to make sure I can get there, there's accessible support, like the support there, there's accessible transport for me. Because, you know, if it's sunny, and this is going to sound so silly, but if it's sunny, I'm like a vampire. I can't navigate in the sun, it's way too bright. I <laughs> put on the wrong bus or train so many times, thinking it's the right one. I've asked for help and people just don't really give that support. So for me, I have to plan mm. things like military operation. That's the same for any person. If it's somebody who is a wheelchair user, they need to make sure they can get down in lifts. The lift's going to work because most buildings mm. will have a lift, but they won't be in service or they don't have accessible entrances. So we plan things. So that, pro that planning is an additional skill. Problem solving. We problem solve every day in our lives. If you're a person with lived experience of disability or neurodivergence, there is barriers that we have found ways to overcome in our personal lives, not just you know, personal problems, but you know, challenges online. Over 97% of the world's top um, 1 million websites aren't accessible, but yet we found a way to make it accessible for those who need to. Welcome to the Inclusive Leaders Podcast, the place where you'll hear strategic and tactical advice shared by diversity, equity, and inclusion experts. This podcast is brought to you by Matheson.io the world's first DEI operating system. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io. The link to connect with us is in the description. Let's get back to the episode. All right. So um, really, really excited to jump into this conversation. Jamie, I, I know you as an amazing leader in the realm of uh, disability and inclusion, um, especially when it comes to your thoughts on LinkedIn that you share. Um, I get a lot out of the, the things that you post, but um, also major shout out to Erica, my colleague that connected us. Um, but for the listeners that don't necessarily know um, about you yet, Jamie, um, could you let us know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, yeah, so um, my name's Jamie, in case anyone hasn't figured that out yet. I, um, <laughs> I, I describe myself as a registered blind rhino. And the reason I do that is because rhinos have poor eyesight, so they have visual impairment. Um, one of the worst um, eyesights in mammals. And then as well as that, they're, they're a little bit like chubby unicorns. I read that years ago, so I'm actually registered blind. I am also gay, so for me, I'm like, this rhino identity is perfect. I also um, live with ADHD. Um, I'm currently waiting for my diagnosis, although you'll pretty much soon realise throughout this call that without the diagnosis, it's pretty evident. Um, so myself, I'm based in the ever so sunny Belfast. I work within disability inclusion, so I've ended up in that space after working, well, I say working, attempting to get employment throughout my life but struggling to retain and gain it because of my disability there was just lack of understanding lack of support and I kind of stumbled into recruitment 
and find empowerment, which is really strange because I kind of flipped the table. I went from being at the side of the table where I was struggling and kept saying, if only I could spend five minutes speaking to a recruiter to kind of show them my skills, the real value for me. But I have flipped that table. So I ended up in recruitment. And then I started talking about my lived experience and the barriers I'd faced. And for the first time in my life, people kind of stopped and listened and said, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Like, how can we overcome that or what can we learn? So I've been in recruitment for just over three years now. Um, in that time, I've been promoted multiple times. I have supported clients with their recruitment, but now I work within a global company basically doing our disability inclusion. So joining the dots up across our regions. How to, what does good look like in the UK? What does it look like in the US, EMEA, APAC? But what are the learnings and the differences? Because it's really important to remember that, you know, with, with disability specifically, language changes in each region. So, you know, in the UK, we would say certain words that wouldn't be used in APAC or in Germany or even in the US. So for me, it's looking at the bigger picture, trying to use my lived experience, trying to amplify, amplify the voices of others. Um, and that is pretty much a nutshell summary of me, um, I think. <laughs> that is awesome. You do so many things and it's great to hear your perspective um, and how I, I really love the arc of your trajectory that, that you mentioned, um, especially when it comes to being a leader in this space and, and seeming, I mean, it seems like you're in the perfect space for what you want to do. Um, is that is that right? It's like your purpose is attached to this. Is that right? Yeah, like I, I, it's so strange because I, I spent years. So I'm, as I said, I'm managed to blind. Um, mm -hmm. I've had disabilities. You wouldn't know I'm managed to blind unless you see me kind of navigating in the sun or you see me in a computer or on my phone or if I suddenly say walking down the street, oh, that's a big dog. I might, somebody has to crack me and say, that's not a dog, that's a person tying the lace. So, you know, my, my eyesight's <laughs> terrible in that sense, but I always struggled with it. I didn't really say I was disabled. I didn't say I had a disability. I told people I had a visual impairment, which is so far from the truth because glasses will never crack my eyesight. I told them that I could wear glasses and it would, everything would be okay. But I then realized that by denying who I was to employers, I wasn't getting the opportunity to be myself. I was not going into jobs and failing tests or assignments. Um, I was getting roles and if I was in training, I was falling behind because I couldn't keep up. So I quickly realized well, I, needed, I need to start telling people who I am. So I started telling them about my visual impairment, but I never really told them I was rest blind. So they knew I had a disability, but they didn't really know the extent of that disability. So when I came into recruitment, um, to at the age of 28, so I'm 31. Oh, that's a lie, I'm 32, that, imagine. I'm taking a year away from myself. So <laughs> I'm 32 now, and in that time, I, I kind of, as I said, I found that empowerment with this employer that kind of flipped the narrative for me, but I found my voice and I found this way of being able to express my disability. And now when I talk to my friends or family about it, it's like, who is this person? What did he come from? Because the CEO Jamie would have gotten a fight with you for saying he was disabled. So for me, I think it's, it's important to be in this space because it's been a journey to get here, but I feel really, and I know this is going to sound really cheesy, but I do feel really blessed in a sense to have failed in this space because not many people do ever get to take those frustrations of lived experience and kind of help drive it and push it into the workforce and make change with it. It's hard to find a way into, even into the DNI space. Like I have people ask me all the time, how did you get into this? And I tell them the truth, I stumbled into this. Like I blindly stumbled into recruitment. I thought it was a call center job I was going for. And three, three just over three years later, here I am I'm speaking in global conferences, posting on LinkedIn and having people engage a dialogue. And I always think I'm this 
small town boy from Northern Ireland with a town which is tiny, where it wasn't really okay to be gay. So, you know, even being disabled, it was almost like pity, like, oh, look at that poor suffering boy. Whereas now I'm like, listen, pard, rhino. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It, what do you think was the key to your success? Like, what what was the thing where, you know, there was a, that click where you were like, oh, this is it? Um, I'm going to be honest. I... I, I, I don't know what's happening. I think I've had moments that have clicked. So I think for me, the first moment where I realized that my voice could make a difference was I was having troubles with um, trying to get workplace accommodations or if you're in the UK, adjustments. Um, I, was trying to, I was in a place of trying to get new adjustments and stuff in place. And I, I, was, I was really having a horrible time with it. And this was really affecting my mood. It was really affecting my confidence. And this was my current employment. And, you know, it wasn't my employer's fault. It was the systems themselves were unaccessible to the screen readers I needed. And I, I was just feeling really, as I said, it's completely withdrew. I had lost some confidence. And one of the managers, uh, senior leaders, it wasn't even my, my direct manager. They were amazing. But their actual senior leader um, had a call with me and I actually broke down crying. And she says, why are you so upset about this? Because what I'm seeing is you're seeing a, a barrier. She's like, I'm seeing an opportunity for us to learn from you. So they kind of flipped it there for me as well. And I was just like, again, this has never happened before. Usually people say, oh, it's not we can do leave now or, you know, oh, you just have to make do. But they were like, this is a chance for us to learn from it. This moment, yes, it's a struggle and it doesn't feel good now. But in a year's time, you're going to be able to look back and say, I've helped change that for somebody else. So that moment was probably the first moment. And then another moment that's probably been really significant was when the director for DNI at AMS, that's where I work, um, Paul, he actually, he was my biggest advocate when I became the global ERG lead for our disability employee resource group. And he just was kind of there in the background. And I don't think he realized it, but he was almost mentor me in a way. And he didn't um, ever find out because I didn't ever tell him. Um, but he was just giving me really great advice and telling me to embrace my authentic self. And he was saying, you know, posts but you know, go for those posts because I post quite a lot on LinkedIn and some of it some people will look at and probably go oh no I don't agree with that because everyone's unique to their identity and their individual experience but he was telling me you know push past that don't let what other people have to tell you to affect you and just be you be your authentic self and he's always kind of drilled that into me so I think that's been a moment is having somebody believe in me and my and again I've had a few people but it's believing in myself but not just like Jamie who's positive and not going on the surface but it's the kind of the jamie behind who is struggling sometimes he gets really frustrated and does cry and have a breakdown everything's not always rosy and i think that's something that i've always been really keen to show you know just be positive about things but he really helped me embrace that authentic me and get that really across in a lot of the things i do that's amazing that's a great example or a couple great examples of leadership um that's awesome. Um, and, you know, I really appreciate your, you know, you mentioned um, what you post on LinkedIn, and I really appreciate your thoughts on accessibility and inclusivity. Um, what would you say are some of the simple changes that some companies can make uh, to be more inclusive? And what would you say are maybe those critical macro challenges companies are facing um, when it comes to their long term strategies? I know that's a big question, but. <laughs> oh, it's definitely, it's like this. For me, I always tell people, quick wins is one of those words. We we hear so much in business, don't we? Like, oh, I want a quick win here. What's a quick fix for this? Right. And for me, I think all the time, it's like, 
Well, there can never really be a quick fix. Quick fix. I can give you some quick fixes to make your marketing more accessible, or I can, um, I'll give you some of those starters here in a moment. But for me, I always think with disability, the quickest fix that anybody can do is to forget this quick fix because it's all about that mindset. It's changing that mindset, flipping that narrative, which is we should hire for pity. We should hire because it's the right thing to do. Well, no, hiring disabled people, yes, there's an element of being right. It is the right thing to do. You want to hire the right people for the job, but a person with disability, they're bringing a whole range of skills that potentially somebody else won't have. You know, if I think of myself, if I'm going somewhere, so if I'm going from A to B, I have to plan that like a military operation. I have to make sure I can get there, there's accessible support, like there's support there, there's accessible transport for me. Because, you know, if it's sunny, and this is going to sound so silly, but if it's sunny, I'm like a vampire. I can't navigate in the sun, it's way too bright. <laughs> I put on the wrong bus or train so many times thinking it's the right one. I've asked for help and people just don't really give that support. So for me, I have to plan mm. things like military operation. That's the same for any person. If it's somebody who is a wheelchair user, they need to make sure they can get down and lifts. The lift's going to work because most buildings mm. will have a lift, but they won't be in service or they don't have accessible entrances. So we plan things. So that, pro that planning is an additional skill. Problem solving. We problem solve every day in our lives. If you're a person with lived experience of disability or neurodivergence, there is barriers that we have found ways to overcome in our personal lives, not just, you know, personal problems, but, you know, challenges online. Over 97% of the world's top um, 1 million websites aren't accessible, but yet we found a way to make it accessible for those who need to, uh, to navigate it. And even if it is asking somebody to read this to me, that's still a solution. So I think this, this whole additional skill set, and I think for me, it's getting away from thinking it's pity because you don't need to pity us. We, you know, we're, we're people, we don't need pity. Think that that is talent. This is talent coming into your business with additional skills who are going to contribute to your culture because individuals with disability or neurodivergence are more likely to stay in employment because of because they've, most of us have just struggled to get it. So when we do get it, you know, if we're sick, I'll be at work sick. I had COVID and I was sitting at work sick and I had to be told to go off. I have friends that see him with lived experience of disability and they did the same. And it's, it's because we are so used to not having something that when we get it, we almost grip on it. So for me, it's changing that narrative of how you think about it and seeing the person, seeing the additional skills that they're bringing. So that would be the biggest kind of long-term goal is changing that mindset because it doesn't happen overnight. You know, you need to have employee resource groups embedded. So have those employee resource groups. For me, if I didn't have an employee resource group, which I attended in neurodiversity, I wouldn't recognize I have ADHD. Um, I wouldn't be able to kind of go down that route of finding ways to manage my day. You know, I find ways online that I would never have thought to do before. So there's all these additional skills and again, coming into that, but it's being able to have those employee resource groups. I lead a disability group. We amplify the voices of our members within the business, our colleagues right across the globe. We discuss the differences in regions we discuss the shared learnings from each region and we have external guests. So for me, having that employee resource group, not just for disability and university, have them um, for all groups, for your colleagues, let them be people driven, but have that support from senior leadership. So there's a quick tip is having employee resource groups, but it's also having colleagues who are, are able to share their stories. Because the biggest thing for me was when I was trying to find employment, I, I never found representation in a business. And I know that sounds silly, but for me, I never seen the representation of people with disabilities. And I know not all disabilities are visible, but if I went onto a company's website, if I could access, most of the time I couldn't, if I could access that website, they didn't really talk about disability in that business. They didn't talk about, you know, people who have shared experiences or work guest speakers or organizations they partner with. 
So there was this massive gap. So in my spare time, I started this podcast where we actually started advising people and told them, if you have lived experience, go check out that employer website. If they don't mention disability or if you can't access that website, that is not going to be the right employer for you because we should not have to ask somebody else to do something for us for us to be able to do something. I don't need to ask my mum, I'm 32, I, don't, I shouldn't have to ask my mummy to read me what's on a website. That, you know, that to me takes away that confidence, that empowerment. So for me, it's thinking of the longer term goals and making real action towards it. And if you have an employee resource group, they can help lead that, they can help drive that change. And if you are trying to make your website accessible, you know, there's a user group with all various lived experience who you could amplify those voices to test that accessibility for you. That is awesome. And I know that not everyone can work at a company like AMS, but uh, what are some things that make you feel a great sense of belonging as you continue to charge forward in your career at AMS? Um, so for me, we had our DNI week at AMS recently, and we had a theme around belonging. The week's theme was around belonging. And for me, like I've really had time to really reflect over this recently. And to me, I always just thought belonging was feeling like my employer valued me. But I've realized it's not just about feeling valued. It's about being able to bring me, like Jamie, who is gay, Jamie, who is a little bit positive, Jamie, who's a little bit sometimes eccentric, Jamie, who's gay, Jamie, who is disabled, Jamie, who's neurodivergent, Jamie, who is from a small town, who moved to all of those little parts that make up me, because I don't just suddenly take off my hat. We're intersectional beings. We don't take off our gay hat to turn on, or disabled hat to turn then take, put on a neurodivergent hat. We're so intersectional. So for me, belonging has been able to bring every aspect of that and every element of that to the workplace and it being not valued, but it being respected and it being seen as a value because it is when people are able to bring themselves to work, they're more happy, they're more productive. So for me, belonging is about creating a culture that your colleagues can be themselves, but that you also, your leaders and right up to the director, are involved with that as well. At AMS, we have our CEO at the moment who is an incredible gentleman, I met him recently, but we also have our founder. And even though she's no longer leading the company as the CEO herself, like she is, she's very much approachable. Same as David, you can go up to them, have a conversation. They come into the office and they go around and speak to everyone, not just the leaders in that business. They speak to people, they ask them about themselves. They don't just ask those, you know, who do you work for? What you're? What are you doing in this building? Do those silly questions that we know are just scripted to kind of make fill in those gaps. But they ask real questions about you know where are you from and what was you know what where did you work before this and what did you think of it? You know they ask those kind of deeper questions about yourself, and I think that's one thing that companies can do is have that culture where it's not that you're a little small fish in a big pond that you may be a small fish in a big pond in terms of your position, but you still swim as one kind of I don't know what you call a group of fish, but a school, a school of fish. So, <laughs> and that sounds cheesy. And the reason I use that is because that's what I told everybody when I started AMS. I feel like this little small fish who swam into the big pond because I speak to directors and I speak to the CEO and I speak to all these quite senior people. And I still stop and think to myself, I'm this small town boy in this global company and it blows my mind. But when I think about myself, you know, and other businesses, I think, this, this isn't just unique to MS. Yes, MS is unique in its size and what it does, but you can replicate that culture because all it takes is leaders who are going to help drive it and then colleagues and people who are going to buy into it. 
because we all know culture can't, it is, yes, it's great to have that buy-in from leaders, but you need people to have that culture. They need to believe in it. They need to see themselves. They need to see that representation. And they also need to know that it's accessible because that's something that we always forget in disability is the accessibility element. We bring people, well, we hire loads of disabled people. They come into business and we can't retain them because we're not creating accessible systems, documents, and we're not able to support them. So instead we let them go. So it's thinking about the bigger picture but making sure that your culture is there to support everybody, not just one particular group, or you're not just talking about one element of DNA this year. It's making sure that all year round, 365 days that year, everybody has that sense of belonging. That's awesome. It sounds like authentic leadership is really important because those leaders with that mindset, they're developing their leaders under them to become <laughs> the best versions of themselves from an authentic uh, perspective. That's, that's awesome. Um, and I did want to backtrack for just one second. You mentioned mm -hmm. that um, you could tell us how to make marketing yeah. practices more accessible. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we all know um, the internet is an absolute wonder cave. So it is. You can get lost in anything. But the internet, which is meant to connect us, is actually one of the biggest barriers in society for those of us who do have accessibility requirements. So like, my, like myself, I would use a screen reader every so often online. Um, people will also use it who are fully blind, people with cognitive disabilities, people who are neurodivergent, but we don't create accessible content. And if you look at social media, particularly marketing, we are missing out on candidates, clients, friends, followers, connections, whatever it is you're looking to connect with, you're missing out on that because when we create content which isn't accessible, it's, it's missed by nearly 15% of the planet who have lived experience of disability, not saying all of them, but a great proportion of them people. But when you're posting, so for example, if you post a picture, and you don't include what's called alt text or alternative text. That is text that translates to a screen reader and helps somebody create a mental image of your picture, of your photo, of your graphic, whatever it is, even if it's a chart. That alt text is embedded in the image, so a screen reader will read it to the person. Without that alt text, that's a blank canvas to somebody online. When you post long-winded messages, almost like, you know, we go on sometimes and we see people's posts and I'm all for people posting, so I hope this doesn't come across as a read to anybody, but it's almost like it's been ripped from a page of the Harry Potter novel and it's like just long-winded with no gaps, no bullet points, no nothing. That's really inaccessible. We should be keeping our posts as clear as possible, keeping the short paragraphs. We should be avoiding jargon. We should be making sure that it's clear and that it's concise. Because again, somebody with dyslexia, someone with visual impairment, someone with cognitive disabilities, they could come along and switch off because they think I'm not reading through all this information was going to be barrier after barrier so if we start adding space and gaps and things and bullet points and things like that it makes it a lot more structured and easier to read um hashtags this is one of the big ones for me is hashtags are not <laughs> accessible at the moment on any platform and that's because they're not using what's called camel case um, it can also be called pascal case because there's people who kind of push back and forth this upper camel case or pascal case is when you use a capital letter for each new word in your hashtag and essentially what that does is it means that if somebody with visual impairment or somebody using a screen reader or again somebody with cognitive disabilities dyslexia again a whole diverse group of individuals here when they come along and find you try to find a job with those hashtags or try to find information or try to even decipher what they mean they can see it a lot clearer a screen reader will read that clearer if you have a long hashtag and it has no camel uh, you're not using camel case so no capital letters that screen reader will read 
honestly, there's, I can't, the only word I can call it is absolute gibberish because you cannot understand anything that's said. It just shouts out letters and it gets confused and it doesn't make for a great user experience. So by using that capital letter, it looks better. And as well as that there, people won't misinterpret it because accessibility won't just benefit people with disabilities or who are neurodivergent. It benefits everybody. Um, you know, if I put it, I'm trying to take an example here, so it's really easy to um, talk about. So if I did a hashtag, for example, said puppies laughter, but if we spell puppies, P-U-Y, P-U-P-P-Y-S, and then laughter. So puppies laughter, so one puppies laughter. If you do that all lowercase and you read that from a distance, that says puppy slaughter. So somebody's going to see the word puppy slaughter. I'm right. probably going to panic and ring some, get help for you. But when you use your capital letters for your P and your L, uh, L not S, we're not slaughter the puppy, P and L, um, you can then see clearly that says puppy's laughter. Um, so it, it benefits everybody. Closed captions and video. If you're posting a video and you haven't got captions, which is essentially translating all spoken word and sound of a video, any background music, anything that is happening sound-wise that is relevant, is captioned. That supports people who are deaf. And again, anybody who's on the train or the bus the way to work and doesn't want, if I've gotten the headphones and don't want people to hear what's going on in the phone around them, we all turn on our captions. If you're learning a language, people go and watch movies in different with subtitles um, or those captions and they read it through because it helps them start to pick up that language. So it benefits everybody. And that's the thing about accessibility. It always benefits everyone. It just doesn't benefit us with disability. When we start to create accessible websites, if you think about accessibility, so there was some quick wins, but if you think about accessibility online, when you go to fix websites, it is a little bit more, you need, you need a little bit more support with that there. So it's not as easy to do yourself because you do need to get accessibility specialists or front-end developer. But if your website is accessible, that improves your SEO rating online. So that's your search engine op optimization. You can tell I struggle with that word. Um, so your search engine optimization, and that will improve your rating on Google. So if somebody's Googling things and your business comes up, it'll be higher up to search on other companies. And as I said, most top websites are not accessible. So if you want to get ahead of the game or you're just starting out as a business or self-employed or whatever you're doing and you're building a website, build that from the scratch. Accessibility, when we do it at a later date, is more expensive. It is harder to unlearn the practices. But if you're doing it right from the get-go, so if you're creating your marketing content and you're giving guidelines on how to create accessible content, that's going to support your marketing team. Um, so they are setting up to do right, right from the get-go. Because coming in and having to retrain people isn't always easy. And you will have to kind of monitor it and watch it grow. Whereas if you're doing it from the offset, there's more chance that it's going to implement in bed. So for me, it's all about accessibility. And I, I, I'm currently building out a resource on my website. So I've launched, well, launching a new podcast, which is going to have a website attached. And it's going to feature a whole section. It's going to be like the Wikipedia of social media accessibility and marketing. So you'll be able to go on and have a look at lots of tips and live examples. Um, another great one, another quick one before I let you go is emojis. Emojis have their own embedded alt text. So that means that if somebody uses a screen reader, it will tell it what that emoji means. Now, they don't always read or translate the way you think they do. So the, the little three drop droplets of water people use, they'll say like, I need a cup of, and then these three drops, and it's meant to mean water. Well, that's actually not the Unicode of that. That is actually translated as sweat droplets symbol. So sweat droplets symbol. So when somebody mm -hmm. with a screen reader reads your messages, you thought says, I need to drink a water. It basically says, I need to drink a sweat droplet symbol. <laughs> And we're going to think, what is wrong? What's happening here? So think about your emojis. Don't replace words. Don't overuse them. Um, and if you do use them together, think about the user experience. 
10 clapping hand emojis will read clapping hands 10 times over and over. That is not enjoyable, trust me. Or go check my LinkedIn because I posted about it recently. It is not fun to hear. <laughs> wow, you've dropped so many gems this in this uh, conversation. But I know that a lot of this DEI work is about taking action. And after listening to your episode, what is one action you would urge listeners to do directly after listening to this? After this, the biggest thing I would do is go to my LinkedIn page. There's a checklist on there on how to create accessible content. It is pinned there. Take that checklist, download it, screenshot it, print it, whatever you need to do and start to implement that. Think about the impact that you can make yourself. I always say be the change because if you think about this, if you are posting on LinkedIn and you post one message and you've done that completely accessible, think about the impressions that you get on your LinkedIn. How many of those people do you think would potentially be living with some form of neurodivergent or disability you know if you think about that you could be impacting so many people you may not always find out or know but you could be affecting thousands of people and not even know it because statistically one in five people are dyslexic or neurodivergent so you know one in five people if you have ten thousand people impressions on your post or even one thousand that's a heck of a lot of people you can make a difference for wow jamie jamie shields you man you are um a wealth of information. <laughs> we really appreciate um, all of your, your thoughts and your insights today. Really appreciate you for that. No, thank you for having me. And like, if you do want to check out my stuff, I have a new podcast coming out. It is the Inclusivity. Now, it's not spelled like T, like T, uh, the way you expect inclusivity to be spelled. It's like inclusivity hyphen T. So drop the Y at the end. Um, and spelling the T on inclusivity, specifically disability. That's amazing. We can't close it out any better than that. Jamie Shields, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Cindy, you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io and book a call to speak with us. The link is in the description. We're looking forward to connecting with you next time.